Thank you, Brother Matt, last week for getting us started in the right direction on Thessalonians. Brother Matt did a, did, doing an excellent job helping uh, Brother Ben and I on these Wednesday night studies. Uh, he is getting better and better. God is giving him great anointing, ability. So we're going to, uh, I asked Brother Ben, I said, Brother Ben, how far did Matt get? And he said he got one verse. I said, one verse? And then he said, well, he had a lot of background. He covered the background. So I'm not going to uh, overdo the background, Thessalonians. But I do find it interesting that, um, of course, Paul, by the time he writes this, he's in Corinth. And he's wanting to know, you know, how things are going. He got run out of town in Thessalonica, uh, caused such a stir there, and left in such a hurry. And they, they even followed him a little further uh, to the next town. And when he, when he got the word from Timothy that things were doing really well in Thessalonica, I can just imagine how his heart must have been so encouraged to say, you know, you, you plan a work, you start a work, and you're not sure how it's going. You know, you're not really sure what's going on. And he hears that it's doing well. And so, based upon that report, he writes First uh, and Second Thessalonians, everything you wish he could have said, uh, but really didn't have time to uh, because of all the... Stir. You know, whenever you begin to preach Jesus and whenever you begin to touch lives for Jesus, it stirs up the enemy. Everybody understand that? The enemy is stirred up and wants to cause opposition. And that's what happened here in Thessalonica. Uh, and it happens even today. The same devil doesn't like for the name of Jesus to be lifted up. So let's pray and ask the Lord just to give us wisdom as we begin to, we want to try and cover all of chapter uh, 1 here. We're going to go from 2 down to verse 10. It's not a long chapter. Lord, we just ask you for your divine wisdom and understanding. Lord, I pray that we might understand and know what you're saying to us through this. Lord, I ask you to help us make the application to apply the truths that you spoke to this church through Paul uh, Lord, I pray that the Word, even though it's over 2,000 years old, Lord, I thank you that it is the anointed Word of God. And because it is the anointed Word of God, it is timeless. It lasts forever. It has power and anointing to change our life. And I thank you, Lord, that the Holy Spirit is active and in this room He's in our hearts. And Lord, I ask you that the Holy Spirit would now begin to make that application in our life. Help us, Lord. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. All right, let's read verse 2 down to verse 10, trying to get a little context of what we're going to talk about. We always thank God for all of you and pray for you constantly. And as we pray to God our Father about you, we think of your faithful work, your loving deeds, and the enduring hope you have because of our Lord Jesus Christ. We know, dear brothers and sisters, that God loves you 
and has chosen you to be his own people. What a powerful verse in verse 4. For when we brought you the good news, it was not only with words, but with power. For the Holy Spirit gave you the full assurance that what we said was true. And you know of our concern for you from the way we lived when we were with you. Verse 6. So you receive the message with joy from the Holy Spirit in spite of the severe suffering it brought you. In this way, you imitated both us and the Lord. And as a result... You have become an example to all the believers in Greece throughout both Macedonia and Acacia. And now the word of the Lord is ringing out from you. Boy, I love that. To people everywhere, even beyond Macedonia and Acacia. For wherever we go, we find people telling us about your faith in God. We don't need to tell them about it. For they keep talking about the wonderful welcome you gave us and how you turned away from idols to serve the living and true God. And they speak of how you are looking forward to the coming of God's Son from heaven, Jesus, whom God raised from the dead. He's the one who has rescued us from the terrors of the coming judgment. What a word to a church. And he's praising them, he's thanking them, he's complimenting them. And you can just hear Paul's heart of how excited he is that he's gotten a good word. And obviously it wasn't just from Timothy he got this word. He's gotten a good word of encouragement and a report from people everywhere. Uh, And it encourages him. Uh, But that first verse, really the first two verses, let's go back to that. Chuck, we could. We always thank God for all of you and pray for you constantly. And we pray to God, our Father, about you. We think about your faithful work, your loving deeds, the enduring hope you have because of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, when I read that, I, I thought about how important it is that we thank God for the people who are impacting our lives. Who has impacted your life? Think about it just for a moment. Who has impacted your life? And have you taken the time to say thank you? Who has impacted your life? Anybody? Gloria, who's impacted your life? Thank you. I appreciate that. This, is, this was not an opportunity for us to get lots of credit here. But, I just, I, you know, I want us to just examine this to know that Paul took the time to say thank you for the impact that they were having. And I just thought, you know, that it, this is a reminder here from the Holy Spirit that this is a responsibility. This is something God wants us to do. And that is thank God for the people who have impacted your life. Anybody else? Who has impacted your life? Charles? The church. Yeah, 
Yeah. And that's what, that's what God wants. He wants men to encourage other men. Iron sharpens iron. Women to encourage other women. Uh, you know, this is what the church is for. Who else? Yes, Terry? Sister Toots from uh, Berwick, great lady of God, yes. Impacted a lot of lives. Helen? Your husband has impacted you. He has impacted you for good. (laughs) I'm just teasing Brother Renee. (laughs) You know that. Who else has impacted you? Yes. Derek Wall. Let me ask you this. Have you told Derek that he's impacted your life? Where's Derek? Where's Derek? I saw Derek. Derek, he wants you to know you've impacted his life. Yes. Hey, Justin. Derek Wall. Okay, you got two credits. Hey, brother. All your brothers at A4. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Good. Good. Anybody else? Who has impacted? Yes. Good. Amen. What a blessing. Yes, Penny? Who? Okay. Great. Praise God. You know, you, that, that always touches our heart and we always remember that. Yes. Miss Eloise. Miss Eloise has touched a lot of people's lives. That's right. Yes. Charlotte? Ladies' Bible studies, yeah. Yes, Mr. Cobb? Your wife, she's impacted you for good. Yeah. And my wife has impacted me for good. You know, it takes wives 20 or 30 or 40 years to get us trained. It just takes a while. Thank God for the brothers and sisters in Christ. Somebody had a hand. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. <laughs> Your father? Praise God. Thank God for parents that have impacted our lives for Jesus. You know, not everybody has that advantage. But if you have parents who love Jesus, what a blessing that is. My mom and dad had a great impact in my life, too. Yes. Amen. Good. You know, that is what the church is for. We are to impact each other's lives. You know, and I I just want to remind you of one verse. It's in Hebrews uh, 7.25. It says, uh, excuse me, chapter 10. Let us not forsake... The assembling of ourselves together. So much more as we see the day of his approach. 
And it goes on to talk about how we should encourage one another daily. And so he's telling us that one of the reasons we come is so that we can encourage one another and be a strength to one another. It's not just what, quote, you get out of it. You know, a lot of times people, we're growing up in a culture now where churches become what you can, you know, what they can do for you. It's almost like a mentality of, well, I'm going to go to church if they've got all the advantages and all the uh, things I like. But, you know, church should be where God puts you so that you can serve and you can be a blessing and that church can be a blessing to you where we encourage one another. It's not about what we get out of it. It's what we can also give and put into other people's lives. So... Here, Paul wants to tell the people, uh, leaders in in, uh, Thessalonica, that they have impacted a lot of people's lives. And they've impacted his life by walking out the truth that he placed in them. There's nothing more exciting as a preacher or teacher, minister of God than to realize that what you're doing is impacting lives for good. Uh, the next thing I want us to look at, we look at, I, I have about five things I'd like for us to look at. The second thing, and that is, um, remember that you are loved and chosen by God. Look at verse four. It says, we know, dear brothers and sisters, that God loves you and has chosen you to be his own people. You know, th- this particular thinking uh, is is so powerful. God has chosen you. He has chosen you to be his own special people. And here's the truth. God chose you before you were ever born. Now, a lot of people think because God knew you before you were born, because he had a choice, he, he made a, had a plan for you, that that somehow takes away your free will, and really it doesn't. It just means that God has a plan for your life. But you have the responsibility to walk in that plan. You understand what I'm saying? God has a great plan. Let's, let's see it from Psalms 139. I picked up two sections out of Psalms 139. Uh, it says, O oh Lord, you have examined my heart and know everything about me. You know when I sit down or stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel, when I rest at home. You know everything that I do. You know what I'm going to say before I even say it. You go before me and follow me. You place your hand of blessing upon my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful to me, too great for me to understand. And then we jump over a little further in there. In verse 13, it says, You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous how well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. And this verse 16 is so amazing. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. 
<laughs> wow. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. And again, it's important to note, God has an amazing plan for our life. And let's call it a blueprint. God has an amazing blueprint. The days of our life, what he wants us to do, the way he created us, the personality he gave us, our talents, our abilities, what we look like, who we are, everything about us. And he wo- He wove us in our mother's womb the RNA and the DNA and the molecules and the personality, he weaves us and forms us to be who he created us to be in order to fulfill the plan that he has for us. Now, we have to choose. We have to make the choice to walk in that plan. He doesn't force us to walk in that plan. You can walk your own way. You don't have to follow the blueprint. And here's the amazing thing about God. If you don't follow his blueprint, you're not blessed. But does God give up on you? Does he say, well, he messed the plan up. That's it. I've had it. No. God chases you. And that may not sound like a good word, but he's after you. You walk away from God and his plan, God's on you. It's almost like the Holy Spirit is a hound dog. I mean, he's on your track. He's on your trail. And he's going to chase you and be after you, working in you, moving on you. What's he trying to do? Bring you back to his plan. What is his plan? That you would know Jesus Christ and him crucified? That you would walk in all the fullness of who God is in you? And that you would all use all the talents and the abilities and the plan that he had for you to give God glory and to impact the lives of other people for Jesus? And even if you mess up your life, this is what's amazing to me, even when you mess up your life royally, If you will at any point turn back to him and say, Lord, here I am. I surrender to you. If you will do that, he will take all the mess of your life and he will work it for good. He will take all the mistakes you made and use those mistakes to help you to minister to others. And the the things you fell flat on, you learn from, right? I mean, you, you, you mess up. Hopefully, you learn something from when you mess up. And when you do, you can, God can use those messes to be a blessing as you minister to other people. But it takes, it takes that, I call it the wake-up moment. You've got to come around, kind of like the prodigal son. You've got to come to yourself and realize, what in the world am I doing, doing my own thing? What am I doing going my own way? I'm just messing up my life. Every time you do it in your strength, you mess up your life. But when you will submit to him in his way, God does amazingly wonderful things. And he will work all your messes into his plan. And he'll use it. Every mistake you've ever made, God will use it to teach you how to teach others not to make those same mistakes. It's amazing. 
And it's not like you catch God unaware and like you mess your life up so much that God can't do anything with you. He can always work your life for His glory at any point in your life. Just takes that, you know, and, and I guess you could say every person has two, uh, how do I say this, two points in their life where they're radically changed. The first radical change is when you come to Jesus. You just find out the good news about Jesus, you respond to the good news about Jesus, you turn your life over to Jesus. But you know, when you come to Jesus, you really don't know everything that you need to know about what it's like to walk with Jesus. I mean, you're kind of just winging it, you know, by faith. But at some point, as you walk with the Lord, you come to this understanding. It's like another wake-up call of what it really means to surrender your life to Christ. And when you do that and you see how God can use you and how God wants to work in you and you begin to see his plan, you can radically be changed and you can be used by God. So I encourage you, think about how God loves you and God has chosen you and has a plan for your life. Does everybody, uh, is everybody with me when I talk about how God loves you and he has chosen you? Is everybody with me on that? Do you understand that? It is, it is an amazing truth that you, you have to almost, sometimes you've got to look at yourself in the mirror and say, God loves me. Lord, you love me. I know you love me. And Lord, you have a plan and a purpose for my life. You have chosen me. You have a plan for my life. Help me to fulfill that plan. Fulfill the destiny of my life, Lord. God will do that. Third thing I see here uh, and is expect opposition from the enemy. Let's look at the next couple of verses uh, there in First Thessalonians. Verse 5 and 6, it says, For when we brought you the good news, it was not only with words, but also with power. For the Holy Spirit gave you full assurance that what we said was true. And you know of our concern for you for the, from the way we lived with you where we, uh, when we were with you. So you received the message with joy from the Holy Spirit in spite of the severe suffering it brought you. In this way, you imitated both us and the Lord. So, them receiving Jesus brought great suffering. And I know Brother Matt brought a lot of this out. I mean, they were persecuted. And they went through great persecution, uh, ridicule. Many times when people got born again, uh, the Jewish leaders would ostracize them. They would strip their that families would disown them. They would lose all their land. They would lose their jobs. They lost everything. And to be publicly water baptized was the day you lost everything. 
to the Jewish culture when they publicly identified with Jesus through water baptism. That was generally speaking the day they lost all their friends and they lost their job. They lost their land. They lost their house. They lost everything. Uh, And it cost them everything. And Paul is writing to the Thessalonians and saying he, he knows. He said he knows that in spite of the severe suffering that they endured, that they were imitating the Lord. How did they imitate the Lord? Jesus said, a servant is not greater than his own master. If they hated me, they will hate you. If, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you. And so having... Um, a great attitude when you're persecuted, when you go through adversity, it, it is a testimony to other people. How many of you had, have had a good attitude when you go through adversity? Let me see your hand. Good, good attitude. We're not doing real well here. Okay. How many of you, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll start a little lower on the rung. How many of you have had a terrible attitude when you go through adversity? Okay, that's where we all start. Yeah. Well, to be honest with you, that's normal. You go through adversity, somebody does you dirty, somebody speaks against you, somebody offends you, somebody hurts you. Uh, we're not happy. But here's the gospel. The gospel is that Jesus makes a difference in our life so much that we can entrust our life to the Lord that no matter what they do or what happens here, God is still my strength. And having a good attitude in the midst of adversity has a powerful impact on other people. When other people see you going through terrible persecution or suffering or adversity or whatever, and they see you having a good attitude about it instead of whining and complaining, it encourages them. I'm going to say something to you. I I want you to think about what I'm just about to say to you. I want you to just consider what I'm saying. You pray and you ask Jesus to change your heart. You say, Jesus, I want to be more like you. You say, Jesus, I I want to have your heart. And you pray and ask God to mold you and make you more like Jesus. Anybody ever done that? You with me? Okay. Now watch. The Lord will have someone to come and offend you in the very area that God wants to bring change in your life. Now, some of you might say, you mean God would send somebody to offend me? Absolutely! He sure would. You're praying, God, change my heart, make me more like you. God hears you. 
and says, oh, okay, great. So then he's going to make sure somebody offends you in that area so that you can change like you just prayed and asked God to change you. Lord, help me and my attitude toward people. Lord, help me not to, to, to be so angry. Lord, help me to, to be quick, uh, uh, have a quick forgiver, to forgive people quickly. Well, how are you going to learn to forgive quickly unless somebody offends you? Right? So when someone offends you, you could be angry at that person or you could say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you're working in me and you're giving me that opportunity to be emptied of myself, emptied of my ways, and to see that person as you see them. And to forgive them quickly. So the next time you get offended. What are you going to do? Are you going to get angry? Now. Is this easy? No. This. This is not our old nature. I mean, this is our old nature to, to respond badly when somebody offends you. I agree with that. But it is the Christ-like nature to give mercy and kindness and forgiveness. Because here's the truth. Life is not fair. It's not It's just not fair. And people are not always going to treat you fair. And here they are. The the church at Thessalonica is getting persecuted like crazy. And it doesn't give us specifics, but from what we understand, they were under tremendous persecution from the religious people who ran Paul out of town. And yet they're responding with a great attitude and they can't wait to exhibit more of who Jesus is in them. And they couldn't wait to tell more people about Jesus. I want to tell you, that's responding well and having a great attitude in the midst of adversity. You know, generally speaking, the church in America is pretty soft. We're kind of spoiled. And we kind of want things the way we want them. And I pray that the church might come to a point of maturity where we would be more interested in being Christ-like when someone doesn't treat us well than we are in getting back at them. Y'all are real quiet. Hopefully you're just thinking about this, (laughs) considering this, thinking about it. But allow God to teach you this truth. It's amazing how free you can be if you don't get offended. And I've said this before. Let God give you unoffendable faith. Kind of like water off a duck's back. It just... They try to offend you, 
You just let it roll off and love them back. Just smile and love them back. And when that guy cuts you off in traffic, you don't salute to him in the wrong way. You just smile, keep going your way. Hey, Renee. Well, that's that's a hard question. It, you know, I think we can develop a heart that's really, really hard to be offended. But it takes an attitude of Christ-likeness and, and in a sense, not taking offense. See, the whole idea is they do something and we take the offense. You understand what I'm saying? Well, we're supposed to. We should. And and I I think that's what God is trying to do in us. Let's let's say this. Okay, this is my pair of glasses. This is the offense. The person comes and does something, and there it is. That's the offense. They said something about me. They talked about me, whatever. Now, in order for me to be offended, I have to take the offense. I've got to take it. In order for me to get offended, I've got to take that offense. But what if I, I don't take it? They do it, they say it, but I say, no, eh, no big deal. We don't take offense. Now, here's the interesting thing. Matthew 24, Jesus, you know, we taught about the, the ten bridesmaids last Sunday. We referenced chapter 24. And all of chapter 24 talks about um, things that are going to precede his return. One of the things that he said in Matthew 24 that would be a sign or would be going on before his return, he said, many shall be offended. And the love of many will grow cold. Now, when he says the love of many will grow cold, he couldn't be talking about unbelievers because... If he were talking about unbelievers, they wouldn't have a love for God. So he has to be a reference to believers. So I find it amazing that in the last days, if this is the last days, have you ever noticed how people are offended about everything? I mean, you cannot say anything about anybody without somebody getting offended. I saw on the news tonight, somebody wanted to talk about how they were offended, but by the way, some guy handled a lobster. I'm thinking, come on now, you can do better than that, you know. By the way, you handle a lobster? 
Somebody was offended. You know, it's, it's like, it's, you know, you gotta, you, every person needs to be like a good preacher, and that is have real thick skin. Every preacher, if you're gonna last, you gotta have really, really thick skin. And just let that go. Uh, nah, doesn't, it's, not, it's not worth it. Let it go. Now, is that always easy? No. But hopefully it will be. Barry? You should have told him that earlier. (laughs) Wow. Amazing. Is exactly right. And again, we have to learn not to take it. And that's why God is doing the work in us. You had your hand up, Ben? Did you scratch your nose? I thought I saw movements of some kind over here. You got to be careful. You know, you just move the slightest bit and I'm, I'm going to call on you. Don't be offended. <laughs> uh, and so anyway, the whole idea here, persecution is going to come. The enemy is going to oppose you, and he will use offenses. He will use whatever he can. And you just, you're going to have to realize, when you declare your allegiance to Jesus Christ, you declare war on hell. And when you declare war on hell, hell is going to oppose you. So you better expect opposition. Don't be surprised when people try to offend you. Don't be surprised when hell, Satan, demons try to stir up problems. Because it is Satan's job. It is his nature to be a liar and a deceiver and a divider. That's what he wants to do. We have to make the decision to say, devil, I'm not letting you do this in my life. So expect that opposition. 
Fourth thing, and that is great, genuine faith, excuse me, genuine faith produces a changed life. Look at verse 7. As a result, you have become an example to all the believers in Greece throughout both Macedonia and Acacia. Wow. They, they, they had a changed life. They had faith in Jesus Christ, and it changed them so much that they began to impact the lives of other people. And I know there's always a big controversy about faith and works, and, and you know, we, but the truth of it is, is that if you have genuine faith, it will produce a changed life. It really will. And it's not that our, our works change us, but Jesus changes us. And when Jesus changes us, and when we have a faith in Jesus Christ that's real, then our life will change. We will walk differently. And it brings up the question, if you get saved, or if you say a prayer, a sinner's prayer, and you don't change, have you had true faith in Jesus? Look, and it's a question that James deals with in James chapter 2, uh, verse 20 to 26. He says, how foolish can't you see that faith without, that faith without good works is useless? Without good deeds is useless. Don't, don't you remember that our ancestor Abraham was shown to be right with God by his actions when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see, his faith and his actions work together. His actions made his faith complete. And so what happened, just as Scripture said, Abraham believed God, and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. He was even called the friend of God. So you see, we are shown to be right with God by what we do, not by faith alone. Rahab the prostitute, another example. She was shown to be right with God by her actions when she hid those messengers and hid, sent them safely away by a different road. Just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works. What it's saying is not teaching works save us. It's not teaching us that. He's simply saying that real faith in Jesus will produce a changed life. Good deeds will flow out of your life. You will be a different person when you have faith in Jesus Christ. You will, And the works or the deeds and the changed life, those are a result of our faith. Does that make any sense? It's a result of it. So it's not teaching works give you salvation. It's just saying if you have real salvation, your life will be different. And it's the changed life that has such an impact in people's lives. And that's really the last thing I wanted to say. And, and this, this last few verses, I love this last few verses. Uh, and that is con- genuine faith is contagious. And that's what I see here that he's describing in, in 8, 9, and 10. Uh, he says, and now the word of the Lord is ringing out from you to people everywhere. Even beyond Macedonia and Acacia, for wherever we go, you find people telling us about your faith in God. We don't need to tell them about it. 
For they keep talking about the wonderful welcome you gave us and how you turned away from idols to serve the living and true God. And they speak of how you are looking forward to the coming of God's Son from heaven, Jesus, whom God raised from the dead. He's the one who rescued us from the terrors of the coming judgment. So he's literally saying, your faith in Jesus is becoming contagious. It is spreading everywhere. People are hearing about your faith. He's complimenting them, but he's he's describing really what the church should be like. You know, the church was not a place that said, come in and get saved. The church was a place where we learn about God so we can go into the whole world and tell them about Jesus. The goal was not to get people here. The goal was to get Jesus in here so we will go out into a lost world and tell them about Jesus. That we have to be so excited about Jesus, passionate about Jesus, that we will desire to be effective for God's kingdom. I read a story the other day. It was a a guy and he, uh, he was describing when he was a junior in high school, he played football and he was uh, an all-star player as a junior. And when he began his senior year, uh, he was a linebacker. And his senior year, the first game of the season was kind of like a so-so game. He didn't play all that well. And so the coach cut out a clipping out of the local newspaper He cut one little phrase out of the newspaper and he pasted it on this guy's locker. And this was the phrase. All-star linebacker was largely ineffective last week. And that was him. And he said he walked up to his locker and he read that. And he said, I can't believe the coach put that on my locker. But he said, you know, he was right. I was ineffective. I was coasting from last year's successes and not really putting a whole lot of effort into it. And here's the thing. You do well, people's expectations of you are raised. They're not lowered. So people's expectations were high for him. And he didn't live up to those expectations and wasn't interested. He said that... That coach putting that clipping on my locker changed my life. He said, from that day forward, he said, I decided I was going to give everything I could, not just in football, but everything I did. He said, because he said, I'm a Christian. And I would never want that to be Jesus's report about us. Would Jesus say about you, you were largely ineffective for the kingdom? I would hope not. But, you know, you can't really coast because the devil is out after you. We talked about that a minute ago. He's got a, you know, crosshairs on you. He is going to oppose you if we are not serious and contagious. Truly, if if Jesus has made a difference in our life, how can we be quiet? How can we not speak? And the description of this church here. And I love the fact that it says that they overcame or they did away with idols. How many of you have ever had to get rid of some idols in your life? Let me see your hand. 
What kind of idols have you been delivered of? Anybody? If you've been, yes, Brother Cobb, what, what kind of idols? Alcohol. All right. Yes, Brandon. All right. He delivers us. What else? What is what kind of idols has God has God delivered you from? Anybody? Yes, Terry. Food. All right. Appetite, food can become an idol. Anybody else been delivered of an idol? Gloria? Smoking? What was that? <laughs> okay, he'll deliver us from all kinds of idols. <laughs> Brother Ed. Pornography? Yay. Bitterness. Penny? Relationships? You know, those idols are those things that pull us back that hold us back from doing all that God called us to do every idol is something that we put above God we worship that idol we put that idol as more important than God and that thing now becomes something above God and he's saying he told the Thessalonians he said that you turned away from idols to serve the living God and if we're going to serve a living God, we've got to turn away from idols. Whatever it is. And you ha- you know, this takes being honest. It means looking at your life and saying, God, what, what are some idols in my life that I need to turn away from? Because Satan will see to it that you hang on to them. He wants you to cling to those idols. Why? So that it will pull you away from serving the living God. But when you let go of it, it frees you to serve the living God. I'd like to ask you tonight, if you would make a decision to say, Lord, I want to let go of everything in my life that would hinder me from walking with God, and that, Lord, I would be contagious. So contagious that people would catch what you've got. You've got the flu Holy Ghost flu, full of the Holy Ghost. And if you're contagious with Jesus, and they get around you, they're going to catch Jesus. Why don't you stand to your feet? Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Just raise your hands. And Lord, let's, let's just pray together. Lord Jesus, use me, Lord. Deliver me from every idol, everything, Lord, that pulls me away from you. Deliver me, Lord Jesus. And help me be contagious, Jesus. So filled with you that people would catch you when they get around me. Help me, Lord, to speak about you and tell them about the wonderful things you've done. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Lord, help us to be contagious, passionate. Amen.